Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Years ago now, my wife Jennifer and I attended a marriage enrichment seminar held in the mountains near Radium Hot Springs, BC. The speaker had us all undertake what uh, he said was a useful exercise for us all to get started. He asked us to reflect on our lives and draw a kind of a line graph across a page representing our life to that point. Invariably, every one of us and uh, on all of our papers appeared a jagged line from one side of the page to the other, indicating the ups and downs we've each experienced along the way. The peaks when we felt like we were on top of the world and the valleys in between when we hit the surprises in life, things that didn't go according to plan. He then asked us to look at that graph, that line graph, and determine where we indeed spent most of our living. And now I get to ask you the same question. Where do you spend most of your living? Do you live on a mountain or in a valley or somewhere in between? Now, I'm speaking metaphorically, of course, uh, and, of, and recognizing that that is, in a sense, what this series is all about. This series uh, is about ups and downs, and that's what David is doing, looking at his life from the sheep seats, if you will, in the 23rd Psalm for the past few weeks. Although, in this case, there is a geographical place he talks about that is actually a physical location. We'll come to that in a minute. So far, we've examined very briefly the life of David and the first three verses of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And today we move on to the fourth verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Back to the question. Where do you do most of your living? This is a question that only you and God himself can answer. Is it on a mountaintop or in the valley or somewhere in between? Since we're speaking metaphorically, let me remind you that when the Bible speaks of mountains, the mountain is normally considered a place of revelation, a place of awe. To have a mountaintop experience means you have received some insight and some inspiration. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're happy and everything's working out the way you want it to, you know, because your bills are paid or, or that you have very few worries. The mountaintop for a Christian is where we meet God and when we hear those rhema words and we can see from where we're standing the promises, the promised land. We all love being on the mountaintop a place where we can sense God's closeness, his presence, a place where we can clearly hear his voice and, and are able to follow his leading because it's all just so clear to us in those moments. But there's a problem. We can't stay there. Moses, Elijah, the disciples all had mountaintop experiences with God, they just, but they couldn't stay there. Peter even wanted to put up tents and camp. No. They had to come down to the valley to continue their walk with the Lord. David's conclusion is that we are all sheep in need of a shepherd and that sheep need, need always to be on the move in order to survive, being led to that next mouthful of grass. If you were here last week, you kind of get that picture, I hope still in your brain, of just kind of walking through to get another little piece of grass and another little piece of grass until finally they've had enough that they can lie down and rest for a few moments. So by their very nature and by virtue of their need, sheep, when they reach the top of a hill or a mountain, they just keep going right on over the top and down the other side. The mountaintop is a great experience 
but the valley is quite different. The average Christian experiences both the mountaintop and the valley in a lifelong dance. We do so because life is filled, obviously, with ups and downs. The truth is, if you're like me, most of the time you live your life either going down into the valley or coming back out of one. The valley, at least in David's time and place, is very different than the mountaintop. At the top, you have the advantage of seeing exactly where you are, and you can actually look down and see every menace that is climbing up towards you. The valley bottom is the opposite, extremely narrow with steep sides. The valley is where life becomes challenging. The valley is where many battles are fought and where feelings are hurt and attitudes are developed. The valley is the place in life where we struggle with everyday fears and painful circumstances. The mountaintop is where we come to meet God, but the valley is where God comes to meet us. As sheep as we struggle during our time in the valley, David reassures us that we are going to make it through, as we've just sung, that we will come out the other side. Every mountain has its valleys, and every valley has its volleys, has its shots that it takes at you. Jesus made this very clear. He tells us, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You will have many troubles, many trials, many sorrows. There will be people who misunderstand you. They will criticize you, talk evil about you, judge you unfairly in the valley. We get the good vibe of the hilltop, don't we? But, we sh but what should we do in the valleys of our lives? Because we don't talk much about them, most of us find ourselves woefully unprepared for the volleys that the valley shoots at us. And there's no shortage of valleys. Without being a prophet of doom, I can say with great authority that you have some valleys coming your way, and so do I. Maybe it's prudent, then, that all of us enroll in a valley management course today. But we had better enroll in the right course because the stakes are sky high, and there's more than one course out there. From the first part of this psalm, you might get the impression that Christianity is the easiest religion in the world just laying around in tall grass and drinking cool water, right? But any experienced Christ follower, every experienced sheep knows this is so, so not true. David makes that clear as he shows where the shepherd leads his sheep. As they continue on the path, they soon find out that in order to get to the next green pasture, the next hillside, the next hilltop, this wonderfully refreshing stream that they find soon leads through the valley of the shadow of death. There is an old Arab parable that says, all sunshine and no rain makes a desert. If you never have any downtimes, dark times, gloomy times, valleys in your life, you'll be dried up. You'll have no depth to yourself, no maturity. It takes good times and the low times to make a mature person. Life is a mixture of pain and pleasure. I don't have to tell you this, right? Of victory and defeat, of success and failure, of mountaintops and valleys. Today, we're going to look at God's directions for how to go through those dark valleys, the hardships of life. Even though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, walk through, notice that. In Israel, there is a real valley of the shadow of death. It's another name for the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. It's the same road that the Good Samaritan took and helped the man along the way. It was a winding road that was, had very steep passages through deep and narrow canyons. So deep and steep that the sun only hits the bottom of it when it's directly overhead at high noon. The rest of the time, 
The bottom is in shadow. The canyon is dark. And that's during the day. Every night it is said that you can't see the hand in front of your face. Every single night. In Israel, as indeed it is the world over, it's the valleys that provide passage into and out of the hills and the mountains. As shepherds would lead their flocks to new pastures on the higher ground, it was the valleys that provided the access, the route that would get them there. David probably led his sheep through the valley of the shadow of death as he was growing up. But there were inherent dangers, obviously, the way he names it, in the valleys. Their winding nature never allowed the shepherd to have any warning at all of impending danger. There were predators, both animal and human, hiding in the dark corners, waiting to ambush their prey. These valleys were also the routes by which water came down from, the, from up on high, from the, mounting snow, uh, the melting snows and so on, and were subject always to flash floods without notice. Death literally lurked in the shadows. David wrote the entire 23rd Psalm metaphorically with this in mind because he himself throughout his life found himself in occasional despair in a sort of valley of the shadow of death. Most of the time, we only think of this valley as being the time of death. Like that's the word that just kind of jumps out at us. But let me tell you a little bit more, a little, we'll, we'll dive a little deeper here. The original Hebrew literally translated into English is kind of a, a superlative on top of a superlative kind of thing. Like the dirtiest dirt, right? That kind of an expression. So what he actually says is the valley of the shadowiest shadows. Like, you just imagine the darkest, deepest shadow, and then multiply it by a hundred. That's what he's kind of saying. Through the valley of the shadowiest shadow, through the deepest darkness you can imagine. It's the same dreary phrase that's used to describe the immense and total darkness before creation, the exact same phrase, or the impenetrable darkness of a mine shaft when you get down and there's no lights. Same kind of impenetrable darkness. In other words, extremely scary, eerily dark, pitch black. And dark was and is in many ways still associated with evil and unfocused dread, right? In the Bible, Joshua and Hosea refer to this particular valley as in turn the valley of trouble or the valley of weeping. Our dark valley may be when we've lost our jobs, failed in our business, missed out on a promotion, the policeman at the door says there's been an accident. The doctor tells you it's not good news. It may be when someone you love is in big trouble or a spouse says, I've had enough. There are a lot of dark valleys in life. But the principal lesson that David wants us to understand is that the shepherd is present in every single one of these situations. He never leaves his sheep. He never, ever leaves his sheep. Jesus' own life gives us clear illustration of this. When he was living on earth, he didn't build himself a nice palace and make himself at home with servants polishing his toes and feeding him grapes. He went down the valley of death. Every day of his public ministry, he faced hypocrites and those interested in their own gain. Many days he went without a place to lay his head. Back in the Old Testament times, people would sacrifice things to God. God would require that they would bring different things to him. They would have burnt offerings and peace offerings and guilt offerings and sin offerings. With the sin offering, the people would bring their best blemish-free lamb. God required that that lamb be offered as a sacrifice to cover the sins of the people. They would select their best. 
take it to the high priest who would take it to the altar and slaughter the lamb there and offer it up to God for the sins of the people, sprinkling its blood over all the altar. He did that once a year during a time called Passover. Now, these sacrifices were just images for us today, mere shadows to show us that we are incapable by ourselves of doing anything to permanently resolve the sin problem, the fact that each and every one of us has chosen to disobey God, to show us that sin was a very serious business to God, that there was actually sacrifice involved. There was the shedding of blood involved. Forgiveness, you see, always involves sacrifice, that the wages of sin is death, and that the shedding of blood of a spotless, innocent lamb was pointing to the day when the spotless, innocent, blemish-free lamb of God would come and die once, and, and all, once for all. The final sacrifice, which we'll talk about a little bit at the end of the service, that would make all other sacrifices obsolete. The cross of Jesus was the altar in which the blood of the lamb flowed and our sins were completely washed away and our relationship with God restored forever. Jesus had a choice and he chose to be the lamb of God. The passage found in Luke 9 just simply says this, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Another paraphrase adds the phrase at the end, with an iron will. I love the picture there. You see, like nobody else, Jesus knew exactly what was required. Jesus had to go through this valley so that he could pay for the sins of the world, yours and mine. Like nobody else, he completely understood it when he heard John say that day, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus knew that's who he was. I'm the Lamb of God, come to take away the sins of the world, and if that means going to a cross, that's what I'm going to do, because they cannot take care of themselves, these sheep. I must lay my life down for them as the good shepherd. So I think we can all agree that every one of our lives has valleys. How do we handle the dark valleys of life? First, we have to understand the hardships of the valleys when we are going through a tough time. First of all, valleys are inevitable. They are going to happen. I hope you, if that's news to you, I'm really sorry. You, you might as well count on them now. You have perhaps just come out of a valley, or you're in one right now, or you're heading for one. That's life. Valleys happen throughout life, one right after another. After every mountaintop, guess what? There's a valley. Jesus was very realistic about it. In this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have valleys. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's going to happen. You're going to have difficulty, disappointment, discouragement in life. There will be times of suffering and sorrow and sickness. There will be flashes of frustration, failure, and fatigue. There will be moments of conflict, criticism, and calamity. They are going to happen. They are a normal part of life. Don't be surprised. Don't lose perspective. Don't give in to despair. I used to think that life was mostly green pastures with the occasional dark valley thrown in there. But now I realize it's much more of an equal opportunity kind of deal with days of joy and days of tears. Life is difficult and demanding. The desolate valleys are an inevitable and necessary part of the journey. Secondly, valleys are inconsistent. You can't plan on them. You can't time them. You can't schedule for them. Valleys are always unexpected. 
They usually come at the worst time, actually, when you don't have time, when you're ill-prepared. Have you ever had a flat tire at a good time? No, they just happen. They're inconvenient. When, are you, when you are unprepared and feel as if you just don't have the resources to deal with them, that's when a valley comes along. It would be great if we could schedule our downtimes. Life doesn't work like that. Valleys come suddenly, often. They're unpredictable. You can't see around the next corner. Have you noticed how easily a good day can turn into a not-so-good day? A phone call, a letter, a routine checkup, a freak accident. Valleys just happen. Disaster follows disaster, Jeremiah says. In an instant, my tents are destroyed. My shelter falls in a moment. Valleys are also indiscriminate. They can come upon you without a warning, and it doesn't matter how good you've been, how careful you've been. Life is such that valleys will come just the same. And valleys are impartial. They're not selective. They come to the rich and the poor, men and women. No one is exempt from valleys. No one is immune to them. No one is insulated from pain and sorrow. No one gets to skate through life problem-free. Everybody has problems, good people, bad people. Problems, trials, difficulties, disturbances, downtimes, depression, don't... Doesn't, and not one of those means you are a, a bad person, a down person. It means you're a person. The Bible is very clear that good things happen to bad people, and sometimes bad things happen to good people. Valleys are indiscriminate. They don't care about who you are. Jesus said, he says, rain on the just and the unjust alike. When we go through a difficult time, a valley in our lives, instead of saying, why me? Remember, this is not heaven. Things are not perfect here, and there are problems and difficulties. Disasters and tragedies happen to all of us. Fourthly, valleys are indistinct. When you go through a valley of life, the scary parts are the shadows, the, the dark, gloomy stuff that you can't make out. In the gloom, you just sort of see the shadows on the wall of the valley, and you're thinking, how am I going to make it? That shadow looks huge. What's it represent? When those times come, you need to remember two important things about shadows. Number one, shadows are always bigger than the reality. It's the fear that's enormous, not the shadow. Shadows, too, cannot hurt you. Ever been run over by a shadow? There is a difference between the shadow of a truck and the truck itself, right? Shadows are image without substance. They can scare you, but they cannot hurt you. They are just shadows. Most people think the verse real reads, walk through the valley of death, but it doesn't, does it? It says, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So many folks are running from shadows. If only we could grasp what the Lord is trying to get across to us, that we must learn to trust him in the darkness when all that is left is the sound of his voice and the knowledge that he is near. Fifth, valleys are intentional. We love to enjoy the mountaintops, but you don't build faith on the mountaintops. You build faith in the valleys of life. When everything is going fine and great, you, you actually kind of put God on the back burner a bit. But when you come face to face with a dark valley, you're on your knees. You see, God's goal is to make us more and more like his son, Jesus. He wants to develop our character. If God is going to make us more like his son, Jesus, he's going to take us through a lot of the same circumstances of life that he took Jesus through. Doesn't it make sense? Was Jesus exempted from suffering? No, not a chance. Did Jesus go through times of loneliness? Yes. Will you? 
Yes. Was Jesus ever tempted to be discouraged? Yes. Will you? Yes. Was Jesus ever misunderstood, maligned, criticized unjustly? Yes. Will you? Absolutely. You're going to go through valleys. God wants to build your character. That's an, a, a goal of his that will not quit. And it's not by accident. Does God cause then, therefore, accidents and tragedies? No, God doesn't cause accidents and tragedies. God is a good God, and he cannot cause evil. He cannot do evil. Can God, however, use accidents and tragedies for good? Always, absolutely. The path by which God takes us often seems to lead away in our minds from our own good, which makes us think we made a wrong turn somewhere. That's because our world, our culture, has taught us to think we're on the right track to God's goodness when we are experiencing earthly good, and vice versa. Our definition of what we think is good for us means he will deliver us or excuse us from experiencing what we think is bad for us, like health issues, money issues, relationship issues, and so on. But that's far removed from the biblical perspective that God's love often leads us down trails where we learn to rely on him and him alone. Here's the interesting thing on the different perspective this gives us. F.B. Meyer puts it like this. If we've been told that the path we're on is supposed to be bumpy, every jolt along the way simply confirms the fact that we're still on the right road, right? It's brilliant. I love that. God can use even the evil done to us by others, turn around and bring good out of it by building character in us. He definitely uses these things in our lives to build us and our faith. We read, Though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. I love that kind of tag on the end there, right? Kind of think, oh, well, he's kind of, we're just more like gold. No, your faith is far more precious than gold. Six valleys are interim. No valley goes on forever. They have an end. We just sang about that as well, right? We're going to come out the other side. They have an end. They don't last. They're not a permanent location unless we choose to make it our permanent location. Some people in the valley simply give up in the midst of it and decide to stay there. Their faith is challenged. Their hope is gone. They're like the Israelites who in their captivity were, uh, you know, kind of uh, always looking for, like, why did you take us away you know, from all this that we were in, in in Egypt, that was so much better. It wasn't better. They were choosing to sort of just pause and live in the valley. Then they kind of said it out loud. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? They sat and wept. All is lost. If only they were more like three Hebrew boys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were willing to go through the fiery furnace. They didn't camp there. They said with great assurance that through the fire, the flame, and the smoke, the Lord will be with us. Go ahead and put us in there, if you will, because it's a temporary place, right? It's a valley. David says, even though I walk through the valley, the valley is not something you're supposed to stay in. You go through it. It's something you go through, a circumstance, a situation that has a season to it, and that's all. When we're in a valley, though, we often think it's a dead end. 
This is nothing but disappointment, frustration, discouragement, dilemmas. But it's not if you keep walking through it. It's like a tunnel. There's a beginning and there will be an end. You go through the tunnel and eventually you're out of it and back out into the light again. Those who mourn will be comforted. Valleys shouldn't come in your life to stay. We're walking through the valley. Not setting up camp, not building a house there, not even visiting at a relative there. We're going through it, even though I walk through. God does not intend for us to stay there. And finally, we also have to think about what we're afraid of too, right? Walking into a scary, shadowy place raises our anxiety. Nobody likes to be scared to death, being afraid of even our own shadows. We associate the dark with fear. When our boys were little, we had a Kermit the Frog nightlight and having it help them sleep peacefully at night. Five-year-old Johnny was in the kitchen as his mother made supper. She asked him to go into the pantry and get her, get her a can of tomato soup. But he didn't want to go alone. It's dark in there and I'm scared. She asked again and he persisted. And finally she said, you know, Johnny, it's okay. Jesus will be in there with you. Johnny walked hesitantly to the door, slowly opened it. He peeks inside, sees it's dark, starts to give up and leave when all of a once he remembers what his mom said. And he says, Jesus, while you're in there, would you hand me out the can of tomato soup? <laughs> when we get older somehow, it seems that we're not as afraid of the dark as we once were. We're not afraid of monsters under the bed or in the closet like we were as children. No, our fears are much more serious. We're afraid of the darkness because of how we associate darkness with evil. From the valley amidst the darkness rises the question, do we trust the shepherd or fear the moment? Fear can seize the heart, causing us to take off running aimlessly, bouncing off the walls, if you will. David doesn't deny that evil exists here. Rather, he affirms that in the presence of evil, there is nothing to fear when we're able also to recognize and realize the very presence of our shepherd. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death is not a time for fear, but a time for building faith and courage. Not courage to fight, but courage to trust the shepherd. So how can we have no shadow of doubt in this? David said, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, firstly, refuse to be afraid. This is about God's power. I will fear no evil. I fear no evil. That's what David says as a sheep who puts his faith in God. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I walk, notice he says. I don't run in a panic. I'm not trying to hurry things along. I'm just going to like blitz through this and I'll be out in the sunshine in no time. No, I walk. Walk means calmly. Walk means deliberately make steps through the valley. David says, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to walk calmly through the valley. You can't go around the valley. You can't go under the valley. You have to go through the valley. Here he says, I will not fear evil. Will implies a choice here, doesn't it? It implies an act of volition, a decision. I will not be afraid. I will not want, he's already said earlier. I will not be afraid. How? Well, simply by focusing on God's power rather than your problem. How big is your God? That's how you do it. 
You can take two people and put them in identical situations, chaos, tragedy, crisis. One of them will be blown away by it. The other actually strengthened through it. One of them falls apart. One of them gains character. The difference is what you're focusing on. You need to focus not on your circumstance, but on the shepherd, on Jesus himself, who says, I will never leave you. Not on the situation, but on the Savior. Not on your problem, but on God's power. Be filled with his mighty, glorious strength so that you can keep going, keep going, no matter what happens. In the valleys of life, you need a power source bigger than yourself. If you think you're going to make it through all the valleys of your life on your own power, just forget it. If you've been trying that, I'd ask you, how's it working for you so far? You're not going to make it. You don't have enough power to handle all the things that are going to hit you in life. It's like Scotty on Star Trek. Captain, I don't have the power, right? You need a power source beyond yourself to plug into. Number two, remember that God is with me, God's presence. David knew that his shepherd was by his side, armed to the teeth, warding off his enemies, and at the same time watching over him to keep him from straying off the trail. The shepherd was with him in the midst of his fears. God not only promises us his power in the valley, he more importantly in many ways promises us his presence. You will never go through a valley by yourself, he says. You will never go through a dark day alone. God has said, I will be with you. It's one of the overriding uh, themes of the entire Bible. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Why? Because I'm there. He will be with you every step in the valley. God says there is nothing to fear when Jesus is near. God does not sit up in heaven looking down on you saying, Oh man, I sure hope they make it. He's there with you in the valley, walking with you hand in hand. God says, I will lead you through this. I will never leave you. Difficulties, drudgery make us think we're going through it all alone. But he's promised, he's promised never to leave us or forsake us. So, what, how do we deal with this? A first grader stood in front of his classroom to make a speech about what I want to be when I grow up. He said, I'm going to be a lion tamer. And I'm going to have lots of fierce lions that I'm going to tame. I'll walk into the cage and they will roar. He paused for a moment, thinking through what he just said. And then he added, but of course, I'll have my mummy with me. A shadow is caused by an object blocking the light. And sometimes a shadow can make things look gloomy and dark. But with every shadow, we need instead to look beyond the shadow to the light. Jesus is the light of life. He's the good shepherd, and a good shepherd does not leave his sheep under any circumstances, certainly not in a deep, dark valley, and just walk away. He does not watch over us from outside the valley. He does not call us from the other side of the valley saying, yeah, just follow the sound of my, you'll get there, just can't keep coming. No, he's with us through the valley. It is God himself who walks with us through life's trials, to deliver us from all evil and fear. At this verse 4, there is a strategic change in the language that you have to pay attention to here. In the first part of the psalm, all of the pronouns are in the third person. He makes, he leads, he restores. But when he gets in the valley, it changes to the second person pronouns. When David gets in the valley, he starts talking not about God, but to God. 
You are with me. Your rod, your staff comfort me. It's the valleys of life that bring us face to face with God in that pronoun of like you rather than God out there. His presence was David's comfort. All of a sudden, the ultimate becomes the intimate. When I'm going through the valley, I don't want to just kind of talk about God. I want to know God. I want to talk to God. Religion becomes a relationship. Any follower will tell you that the times they've been closest to God were in those face-to-face encounters in the valley. When you're in the valley and you're spent, depleted, perplexed in despair, and you're talking directly to God, he becomes so real to you, you understand intimately, I'm with you. You're not in this by yourself. We enjoy the mountaintops, but we come face to face with God in the valleys of life. He'll never be closer than when you're in the valley. And finally, rely on God's protection. Sheep are not known for their viciousness and ability to defend themselves. How many signs have you seen at a farmyard saying, beware of sheep? David knew firsthand the protection duty of a shepherd because he was a shepherd himself. He faced the lion and the bear to protect his father's flock. He reasoned that God was his protector, just like David had placed in his life between the, had to place himself between the, the beast and the sheep. Jesus places himself between the evil one, Satan, and us. David reminds himself that God's rod and staff comfort him. The rod and staff are the two basic tools that a shepherd used to protect and guide the sheep. And I've shown you before, but this is the rod. This actually has come from Israel. This is a weapon that the shepherd would use. A short club about this long with something at the end, either just from the makeup of the branch, which this is, or with embedded stones and things on the end, something that would give it a little clout to defend the sheep from wild animals. It also was, by the way, uh, something they used for care. This is how they would inspect a sheep and count the sheep with their rod. Shepherd was very skilled, though, at hurling the rod. Who wants to catch this one? Yeah, okay. Like a missile, they could throw it at anything that was attacking the sheep. The shortness of the rod, however, meant that when the shepherd was facing a lion, how close was the lion? That close, right? This is like hand-to-hand kind of combat here. It was that close. God is not somewhere far away off in the universe when we're in danger. He's kind of like this close. When you go through the valley, I'm defending you. I'm protecting you. In the dark valleys, we sheep cannot survive on our own. Every time we try to fight the enemies of our soul alone, we lose. At those times, we need to know the good shepherd is there with the rod fighting for us. He's our defender and our protector. David also found comfort in the shepherd's staff. I was going to use this on Irv if he didn't uh, quit when he did. You're cutting into my time, Irv. Come on. Actually, this is in the back, and this is what they use for speakers, and now they can't use it. So we're here for a while, folks. Sometimes the sheep are their own worst enemies. A staff was this kind of a long stick with this crook at the end of it. The shepherd uses a staff to guide and to comfort and to ease out of a, of a danger zone. He will use a staff to draw the sheep in close to him. He will use the shaft to lift them up when they're down. He brings them close in with the, shaft, with the staff. He also uses it, of course, to guide them with the other end. When you go through the valley, you're not going through it alone. God's going with you, and he's got his rod and his staff 
to protect and guide you. Understanding how the shepherd tends his sheep has helped me so much in understanding the character of God. When I go through wandering, he's never far away. There goes that stupid sheep Pearson again. Whap! No. His attitude is, there's Lauren wandering away again. Let's just kind of gently lead him back in again. How can I help him? How can I move him back onto the path? How can I comfort him? How can I supply what he needs? He may need some discipline, but he always does it to us in love. He reproves, he corrects, he encourages and instructs. He deals with us firmly, but always with love and gentleness. The good person does not escape all troubles. They have them too, we're told. But the Lord helps them in each and every one. Oh, if we could just live this verse. It's obvious that we are all sheep, and every sheep must go through valleys. Every sheep has disappointments, gets sick, experiences tragedies, loses loved ones, has financial problems, family problems. Yet some sheep thrive in these circumstances, and others are consumed and destroyed. The difference is not the valley. The valley is exactly the same, nor is it the absence of the shadow of death, but it is instead the very presence of the shepherd. That's the difference. God is with you. The shepherd is present in every valley you will face. He never leaves his sheep. He went through the valley of the shadow of death like no other has. He died, he died for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. <laughs> 